you're listening to a City on a Hill podcast. We'd love you to use and share this podcast, but please refrain from editing the content without permission from City on a Hill. If you'd like to know more about our church, or if you'd like to donate to the work of City on a Hill, please visit cityonahill.com.au. A long time afterward, when the Lord had given rest to Israel from all their surrounding enemies, and Joshua was old and well advanced in years, Joshua summoned all Israel, its elders and heads, its judges and officers, and said to them, I am now old and well advanced in years, and you have seen all that the Lord your God has done to all these nations for your sake, for it is the Lord your God who has fought for you. Behold. I have allotted to you as an inheritance for your tribes those nations that remain, along with all the nations that I have already cut off, from the Jordan to the great sea in the west. The Lord your God will push them back before you and drive them out of your sight, and you shall possess their land just as the Lord your God promised you. Therefore, be very strong to keep and to do all that is written in the book of turning aside from it neither to the right hand nor to the left, that you may not mix with these nations remaining among you, or make mention of the names of their gods, or swear by them, or serve them, or bow to them. But you shall cling to the Lord your God, just as you have done to this day. For the Lord has driven out before you great and strong nations, and as for you, No man has been able to stand before you to this day. One man of you puts to flight a thousand, since it is the Lord your God who fights for you, just as he promised you. Be very careful, therefore, to love the Lord your God. For if you turn back and cling to the remnant of these nations remaining among you, and make marriages with them, so that you associate with them and they with you, know for certain that the Lord your God will no longer drive out these nations before you, but they shall be a snare and a trap for you, a whip on your sides and thorns in your eyes, until you perish from off this good ground that the Lord your God has given you. Now therefore fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and in faithfulness. Put away the gods that your fathers served beyond the river and in Egypt, and serve the Lord. And if it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve whether the gods your fathers served in the region beyond the river, or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Good morning, everyone. Um, Those that have met, my name is Andrew. Good morning if you're at home online as well. But... I want to begin this morning by encouraging us to come before the Lord, to pray, to humble ourselves beneath His Word, and to have an expectation that the Lord God Almighty wants to speak to you, wants to speak to you and to challenge you, to show you who He is, to call you deep in relationship with Him. I hope you're excited, because every time we come to God's Word, that's what we long to see. So would you pray that that would be our reality in, this, in these next moments together? Let's do that. Father, as we gather together in this moment, in this place, 
We thank you that you are a great and mighty God, that you are sovereign over all of this universe, that you love us and you want us to come to you for our good. And so, Lord, we pray that now as we look at these words of Scripture, that you give us ears to hear and soft hearts, and we pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, um, on the screen, you'll see a photo of my grandmother. Um, I hope. (laughs) That's not her. There she is. Uh, My grandmother was 97 when she died last month, and she was the, the most incredible woman of God, really hugely influential in my life. Um, But the last time I saw my grandmother, she was, uh, we knew it was going to be close. And uh, we went to see her and she was uh, lying frail and small in the big hospital bed. But there was a gravitas there. there, there was a heaviness, because we knew that in a very short period of time, my grandmother would go through the gates of eternity. So the words that she spoke were so significant, and, and as her grandchildren and her great-grandchildren kind of lined up over those days to come in and say goodbye, very often she would ask them a very simple question. She would say to them, are you following Jesus? Just a simple question, but with the most profound implications. Are you following Jesus? Well, today, as Joshua comes to a close, this book that we've been journeying in, Joshua is older than my grandmother. He's in in his hundreds, but he also knows that his time is short. And as chapter 23 begins, he calls the people together one last time. He calls them together and he speaks words which must have had a far greater gravitas even than my grandmother's words had for us. And the question that he asks them as he calls them together is actually not dissimilar from the question my grandmother asked us. He would say, are you following Yahweh? Are you following the Lord? Well, as we look at that this morning, um, you'll see from the reading that we had some in, in, from chapter 23 and some from chapter 24. I'll be, I'll be going between them. They will be on the screen, but if you have your Bibles that would also probably help you follow. But as we look, there's some C words which describes what is happening here. And I've got a number of words which begin with the letter C, and you'll see got it, uh, where I'm going with those. Firstly, Joshua begins by saying, you need to take a look back. Before you look forward, look back. And in Joshua 20, 23 verse 14, he says this, You know in your hearts and souls, all of you, that not one word has failed of all the good things that the Lord your God promised concerning you. All have come to pass for you. Not one of them has failed. So Joshua, as as he's getting ready to die, getting ready to cross the bridge into eternity, he says to the people and he says, all right, look back. Look at the commitments God made to you. Has any of them failed? Not one. He says, look back and see that God has kept his commitments. And and as we come and consider that question, are you following the Lord? It's good to look back and to ask 
has God been faithful? Um, my uh, children, some of them at least, accuse me of um, an irrepressible toxic optimism, is what they call it. And uh, they claim that I can always see the positive side of things. It's actually not true. I actually think I have a bit of a pessimistic streak. Um, and I think, I don't know, maybe you can identify with both, depending on the day. But there are times when, I, I, particularly when things are difficult, or God feels difficult, uh, God feels distant, or things are just not going the way that I want to want, feel that they should be, it's easy to feel like, where are you, God? And, and sometimes it's even easy to feel, are you actually good right now? I know that you're good, we sing those songs, but right now I don't know if I feel that. Do you ever feel that yourself? Or is it just me? I sometimes do struggle with that. But in those moments, and Joshua would begin by saying to me, Andrew, look back. Look back on God's commitments to you. Ask yourself, has he ever failed you? And in my case, he could say, look back to when you were 17 years old and you, were, you heard my voice asking you to follow and you were terrified and you trembled all over as you, you, you didn't want to follow, you, you were terrified about what the journey would look like. Has God been faithful? You'd ask me and I'd ask the same of you. Now, as we begin considering that question, will you, are you following the Lord? If you are a Christian and you have been for a while, look back, has God been faithful to you? Joshua says to the people, you know he has. Not a single word, not one, not one promise fell to the ground and was ineffective. Every single thing came to pass, Joshua says, and you know it. That's the first thing we see, God keeps his commitments. Now, secondly, God warns them of, Joshua rather, warns them of a terrible spiritual danger that he knows that they will face when he passes. A danger that will be of huge importance to them in answering that question. Will they follow the Lord? What's the danger? 23 verse 12. For if you turn back and cling to the remnants of these nations remaining among you, and you make marriages with them so that you associate with them and they with you. What's he talking about? Joshua says, there's a terrible spiritual danger that you'll face, and it's the danger of compromise. You see my faithfulness in bringing you into the land, but now that you're in the land, there are going to be other people who do not recognize the Lord, and you are going to be tempted to compromise with them. It's a terrible spiritual danger, and it's one that we know as well, isn't it? Uh, living God's way, saying one way, Jesus, you're the only one, right? That's kind of easy to say in a moment like this, isn't it, when um, the majority of us here are gathered together because that's what we're doing. We're, we're wanting to put Jesus first, but when you're out at your school or your family gathering or the bowls club or the, wherever it might be, that's not so easy to do because we, we live in a, in a world and a culture where we are the minorities in the culture and the pressure to compromise our faith with those around us is intense and it's continuous. Who wants to be different? Who wants to, to stand out and get attention drawn to them for being different? Not many of us. So think about what it was like for the Israelites going into the land. And if you can imagine, let's say that there's, uh, I don't know, 
Abraham, not the Abraham, but Abraham, Ben, someone or other, is at the marketplace buying some leeks. And while he's there, he meets Amram, the Canaanite. And they have a bit of a discussion in the marketplace. And Amram says, you just believe there's one God, right? And Abraham goes, yeah, I, I believe there's one God. Amram says, but don't you think that's pretty intolerant? But what about the gods of the land, like Ashtoreth and Baal? And Abraham said, no, there's only one God. He said, well, Amram says, well, yeah, that was okay in the desert. You got your one God, Yahweh, but there are actually, you keep Yahweh, he's still your God, but now that you're in the land of Canaan, you need some help from the gods of the land. You need to accept what they can give you. Don't deny your God, just worship these other gods too. And we hear it in that terms and we go like, oh, we're not going to be tempted to do that. We're not going to be tempted to say, you know, like to, to, to choose or compromise with other gods like that. But, but actually, I think you'd find that we are. Um, think for a moment, we could think about, and we'll think very generically about this, we could think about the, the sexual ethics of our world. Uh, the sexual ethics of the Canaanite culture were very, very clear and they're actually not dissimilar from the ethics that we would encounter today in our world. I'm not going to go deeper today, um, in this service at least, because uh, we've got younger folk with us, but you, you get the pressure to compromise. Um, could actually be in the area of the Canaanite society, practice child sacrifice. And you might think, what, what compromise could the Israelites be tempted to towards that? Well, they were tempted, we know, to show their devotion to their gods by killing their children. And we live in a world today where those same temptations to sacrifice to the gods of our culture require those same sacrifices. But there are others still, aren't there, where we're tempted to compromise. Um, and one of the big areas of compromise that the Israelites would face was the, the gods of the land of Canaan, like Baal, were gods of fertility and prosperity. Gods of, of wealth. You, you worshipped the gods like Baal because you wanted Baal to give you good seasons and good crops and good money and good resources and prosperity. So you used the gods of the land to get what you wanted from them. That would be a temptation for Israel and it's a temptation for us too, isn't it? To, seek, uh, to use our faith maybe to get what we want from it. Um, I, I come and I'm a Christian because I want this and this and this and this and this from you, God, and I want you to give me those things, and including in those things are prosperity, maybe wealth, riches. There's a temptation uh, to come to our religious observation because not because of who God is, but because of what we can get from God. I want prosperity. I want wealth. Uh, it's alive and well, this temptation to compromise in the world today. There's a problem with it, though, 1 Timothy 6 verse 9, Paul writes, those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap. Did you hear that? You want to get rich? Then you fall into a temptation and a trap and into foolish and harmful desires that plunge men into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. 
So as Joshua is speaking to the people, he says, remember God's commitments to you. And then he says, but beware of the danger of compromise, of watering down the words of God so they will fit better within the community in which you live. And thirdly, he warns them that if they do compromise, then there will be consequences. So 23, 12. Know for certain that the Lord your God will no longer drive out the nations before you, but they shall be, listen to this, a snare and a trap for you, a whip on your sides and thorns in your eyes until you perish from off this good ground that the Lord your God has given to you. That's a very stark warning. Uh, Did you hear Joshua speak about the metaphors, the three metaphors he uses to warn the people of Israel about the danger of compromise? Listen to the consequences, he says, these three metaphors, a snare and a trap. Um, I'm in the business of snaring and trapping rats at the moment. I don't know if you've ever had that. I've got the cage, I put the tasty bait inside the trap, and the rats are clever, aren't they? They're clever, they're hard to get, but you want the bait to be be tasty, and the rat eventually, it gets in, it steps on the plate while it's taking the bait, the trap shuts, and then I treat that rat with all the love and compassion it deserves. You know, that's that's the the metaphor here, isn't it? It's clear. Joshua says to them, if you compromise, then you'll get caught in a trap and a snare. And then he goes on to talk about, they will be a whip to your sides. Um, A whip to our sides is is not a common thing, I hope, that you experience day to day, and not a common metaphor that you understand, but we, we know what a whip to the sides does, gouging the flesh, causing pain. He says, if you compromise with the Canaanites, it's gonna be like a whip to your side, and then finally, he says, it will be like thorns in your eyes. You compromise with the Canaanites, it'll be like sticking a thorn in your eye. And what does that do? It hurts, yes, but blinds you. You don't don't know where to walk. You stumble off the path. You can't see. And Joshua says, it'll be a trap. It'll be a whip. It'll be thorns in your eyes. The consequences for disobedience or for for compromise with the nations around them are going to be massive. So Joshua then gives the antidote to compromise and its consequences. And it comes in 23 verse 11. Be very careful, therefore, to love the Lord your God. Did you hear that? Be very intentional, be careful, be thoughtful, be dedicated to love the Lord your God. And then 23 verse 8, a few verses before, but you shall cling. Did you hear that? You shall cling to the Lord your God, just as you have done to this day. You'll cling to the Lord your God in in love. Um, Joshua is saying, as you consider the the compromises that you're going to face and the consequences of those compromises, you don't want to go that way. You want to cling instead. You want to cling to the Lord your God. Have you ever clung to something? Um, I once was rock climbing and I, I fell without ropes, and I fell and slid down the rock, and, and I was holding by one hand while my body was swimming, swinging over this precipice. It was just before I got married. It was, very, uh, it was a very silly thing to have done. But let me tell you, the word cling 
That's what I was doing, right? I was clinging to that rock. Every muscle focused on holding onto that rock because I knew that to, to let go of that rock was to plunge to my death. And Joshua was saying, cling to the Lord in the same way, right? Cling to him in love. In, in the Old Testament, it talks about, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and cling to his wife or cleave to his wife. And Joshua says, you need to cling to the Lord your God in love. Now, what does it mean to cling to God in love? Uh, what does it mean to, to be eager to love the Lord? Well, you could think it means that when you, when you come and you worship, that you have emotions that show that you love God. And that is true. Um, we are emotional beings. Uh, we, are, we are people that, who have emotions, and, and those emotions need to be connected with our worship of God. Absolutely. But you can also get pretty amazing emotions at a rock concert, can't you? Or you can get really amazing emotions when you look at, you, I don't know, you see a beautiful piece of art, or listen to music, or, or gaze across the oceans, and you can get, and those are God-given good emotions, but that's not what it means when it says, love the Lord, that you get an emotional response, not primarily. What is it? Well, loving God, clinging to him is a deliberate action that orders all of your life around God. It's a deliberate decision that everything you say and do will be ordered around him. Joshua puts it like this, 23 verse 6. Therefore, be very strong to keep and do all that is written in the book of the law of Moses, turning aside from it, neither to the right hand nor to the left. He says, look at God's word. Clinging to God means clinging to God's word. Resisting compromise and the consequences that come from it means that you will stand on God's word. You'll cling to God's word. You will obey God's word. Jesus put it like this, John 14, 15. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. If you love me, you'll keep my word, Jesus says. And because of this very centerpiece of the chapter, Joshua then presents them with an ultimatum. Did you notice that? Megan mentioned it in the kids' talk. An ultimatum. I'm going to read it again, chapter 24, verse 14. Listen to this. Picture the scene. You know, the people are gathered. Joshua's old. He's, he's about to pass into eternity. And he says this, put away the gods that your fathers served beyond the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord. And if it's evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose this day who you will serve, whether the gods your fathers served in the region beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell, but as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. You see another C word, a choice? Joshua lays before the people. He says, you want to worship those gods, useless gods that they were? Well, go and worship them then. You want to do it? Go, come on. But as for me and my family, we were going to serve the Lord. We've made that choice. Choice is something that each of us face in our spiritual walks. Now, this, this is, can be difficult ground because uh, some people can say, well, I don't think we have choice as a Christian. It can be like, you know, I was just walking around innocently and then, boom, you know, like suddenly I go, oh, I've been predestined. Here I am. I've got to be a Christian now. Oh, it I just happened to me. I just got suddenly predestined now. 
It's true that in the Bible we see the absolute sovereignty of God in salvation. That's a biblical truth. Even Jesus says, you didn't choose me, I chose you. You And then Romans, for those whom he foreknew, we also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. He goes on, the Apostle Paul in Romans. Absolutely there is God's choice of us. But it's simply not true to say that your choice doesn't matter. That a human choice doesn't matter. It's not the testimony of scriptures. Um, when I was 17, I mentioned before that terrified of uh, coming, knowing that God was calling me to follow him, terrified of it. I was at a, the Easter convention at Belgrave Heights and there was this old time, old school Scottish reformed preacher called Alistair Begg and he was putting it out there and he was saying, you got to choose. You got to choose. Young man. Yes, that's me. You got to choose. Will you follow the Lord or will you not? Choice, choice, choice. And I knew that choice was real and it was weighty. And Joshua says to the people, choose. Make a choice. Pick your team. Make a decision. And in line with that, he's just following the words of his mentor Moses, isn't he? Remember this in Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse 19. This day I call the heavens and the earth as witnesses against you that I have set before you life and death, blessings and curses. Now choose life so that you and your children may live and that you may love the Lord your God, listen to his voice and hold fast to him. My grandmother's question is a good one, isn't it? Are you following Jesus? Are you following Jesus? Have you made the choice to follow Jesus? Jesus, Jesus, because you have choice and it matters. And then in Joshua, there's this wonderful response. The people, as they hear Joshua's words with all their gravitas, verse 18, they say, we will do it, they say. We'll also serve the Lord, for he is our God. Wow. Then Joshua says, oh, no, you won't. He's just like, oh, what a downer, Joshua. Just sit in the moment. Like, they're, they're following God. They're all in. And he says, no, you won't. 24, 14. But Joshua said to the people, you are not able to serve the Lord. He is a holy God. He's a jealous God. He will not forgive your transgressions or your sins. But then they said, no, we will serve the Lord. So in 24, verse 25, Joshua makes a covenant. It's a final C word a covenant with the people that day. They uh, cut a covenant is the, we say make, but in Hebrew, it's always cut. It's you, you cut an animal in two and then you, will, you walk between the animal, the two parties who are making the agreement. And as you walk between the blood and the gore, you, you're actually saying, this is so serious that may this happen to me, may I be like one of those animals torn to bits if I break disagreement today. That, that's what it is. It's, it's the covenant. It's, it's serious. And the book ends with the people having made this covenant. And Joshua says to them, you see these stone? He, he, they set up a stone and he says, that stone heard what you said and it will testify against you if you break it. And say, we know. And they make this holy promise, this holy agreement before Joshua and before the Lord saying, we will serve the Lord. We'll put away our foreign gods. We'll serve the Lord. 
And this is as the book ends with it ringing in our ears. And our question is, do they do it? What do you think? Do they keep the covenant? You're shaking your head. Jesse doesn't think so. What do you think? Do they keep more shaking heads? Well, actually, uh, 2431, Israel served the Lord all the days of Joshua and all the days of the elders who outlived Joshua and had known all the work that the Lord did for Israel. So in one sense, sorry, Jess, I, I think the answer is probably yes. They kept the covenant at least, at least while the elders who knew Joshua and had seen the works of the Lord were still alive. So yes, in the short term they did, but you're also right because we know the next book of the Bible, what's the next book of, after Joshua? Judges. And we did that a few years ago. That is a wild ride, Judges, and it all comes unstuck. The people make this wonderful covenant and for a while they keep it, but in the end they break it. And throughout the Old Testament, we see that time and again, the people fail to commit their commitments to God. Joshua says, will you follow Yahweh? And they say, yes, but then they don't. And it gets worse and it gets worse. Until in the end, the people, as God promised they would be, are expelled from the land that he's giving them. They go into exile. So what about us now? God loves his people. He loves his people and he longs for them to truly cling to him, but God can't overlook the sins of an unholy people. God loves them. He warns them of compromise, of serving other gods. They don't listen, and in the end, he brings the consequences on them because he's a God of justice. He's a God of truth. So God needs to find a way, doesn't he, to dwell with his people who make promises so easily and then break them so easily. Well, Jeremiah 31, 31 says this. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. I will put my law within them and I will write it on their hearts and I will be their God and they shall be my people. So Jeremiah says, a day's coming when I'm gonna make a covenant, but not like the one that Joshua made with the people before God on that day. I'm gonna make a covenant with them. It'll be new, it'll change their hearts. I'm gonna give the Holy Spirit to live inside them so that they want to keep my laws, not just because they're scared of the consequences, but they want to serve me. And the good news this week is that covenant is here. And so we're gonna close with this morning. Um, This is a week which in the, the church calendar we call Holy Week. It's the most significant week in the, the life of the church. This Sunday is a day when we remember what? Palm Sunday. This is, this is the day when in the church calendar we remember the, the people laying the palms before Jesus. Jesus is coming into Jerusalem. He's seated on the donkey and the people are going, Hosanna to the son of David. The king's here. The Messiah's come. We're gonna serve God. We're gonna love God. Here he is. We worship him. Palm Sunday. Then, of course, we'll know how fickle the hearts of those people were and how swiftly things can change in just a few days. And indeed, on Thursday night, we're celebrating a Passover meal tomorrow night, Monday night. But the real meal took place on Thursday night. And at that Passover meal, as part of the meal, 
Jesus took up the cup, which is one of the cups of the Passover, and he said these incredible words, and the disciples would have known in some level how amazing these words. He said, this, as he held up the cup, this is the new covenant in my blood. Just think on that for a moment. This is the new covenant in my blood. They knew the Old Testament, they knew the story of God, they knew the promise of Jeremiah that a new covenant would come, and Jesus then says, this is in my blood. Not not the blood of an animal, not separating the animal and making that commitment before God, but my blood. This is the new covenant in my blood. The old covenant was powerless to change their hearts. Jesus says, this is the new one, in my blood. Are you walking with Jesus? My grandmother would ask that. Joshua said, are you walking with Yahweh? Are you walking with Jesus today? That's a live question, isn't it? Not, were you walking with Jesus when you're a younger person? Not, will you walk with Jesus in the future, but are you walking with Jesus right now? That's a question that was ringing in the ears of the Israelites and should be ringing in our ears as we come to this week of Holy Week as well because obedience to God still matters. Paul says in Philippians, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Hebrews chapter 10, 26 has these words of warning. Listen to them, these are heavy words. For if we go on sinning deliberately, after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there, are no, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a fearful expectation of judgment and a fury of fire that will consume the, ad, consume the adversaries. Anyone who has set aside the law of Moses dies without mercy on the evidence of two or three witnesses. How much worse punishment do you think will be deserved by the one who has trampled underfoot the Son of God and has profaned the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified and has outraged the Spirit of grace. For we know him who said, vengeance is mine, I will repay. And again, the Lord will judge his people. It's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. The stakes are high. Are you following Jesus? Are you following Jesus as he made the new covenant for you in his blood? So cling to Jesus. As we end this book of Joshua, cling to Jesus. Cling to him as more precious than anything. But remember these wonderful words of grace. 1 John 1.8. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. And the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He's faithful, he keeps his commitments, he's just. That is, he cannot hold your sins against you because Jesus has founded a new covenant in his blood. God must honor that covenant and he will. So are you following Jesus Are you walking with Jesus? Are you a participant in this new covenant? Does this week of Easter, which begins now, 
mean this for you? Yes. If the answer is yes, I want to invite you to take communion. Um, if the answer is no, um, then I'd invite you to, to hold it. Maybe you, you got a cup as you came in. You can hold that, that cup. But as we do so, we're going to confess together. Um, there's some corporate words, I think, that we have on the screen. So we'll confess these words together as we come to take the new covenant. Let's pray these words together. Merciful God, our maker and our judge, we have sinned against you in thought, word and deed and in what we have failed to do. We have not loved you with our whole heart. We have not loved our neighbours as ourselves. We repent and are sorry for all our sins. Father, forgive us. Strengthen us to love and obey you in newness of life. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you'd like to know more about our church, or if you'd like to donate to the work of City on a Hill, please visit cityonahill.com.au.